but today, uh, we're going to be talking about a man who's considered the father of many. Uh, and if you get the reference, uh, we're talking about Abraham. Um, now, we're going to be looking at the ideal. I'm, I'm going to be, for most of this series, I'm going to be sharing the main point in the beginning and then kind of breaking it down and then pulling things out so that that main point will make sense. So write this down. Remember this uh, for those that are taking notes. Um, this is the main point. While Abraham believed in God's promises and covenant before anything happened in this physical world, we too as Christians have a covenant promise with God that we can hold on to in our times of difficulty, challenges, and fear. So this is uh, what we're going to be focusing on today. And we're going to be looking at the promise or the covenant promise of Abraham and what that looks like for us today. Now, we first meet Abraham in the book of Genesis chapter 11. And if you trace the lineage of Abraham, if you look back at his lineage, it goes back to Terah, who was his father, all the way back to Shem, uh, who was one of the sons of Noah. So from Adam to Noah, we have 10 generations. And then from Shem to Abraham, we have another 10 uh, generations. That's just a random fun fact. Um, but anyways, it's here in Genesis 11. We find the first mention of Abraham, but his name mentioned in uh, Genesis 11 was his original name, uh, which is Abram. But for the sake of today's sermon and for uh, consistency, uh, I'm going to be referring to Abram or Abraham as Abraham, right? Uh, so I'm not going to go back and forth between Abram and Abraham, but we'll just, just remember uh, that there is a name change that does happen later, uh, but we're going to be focusing on, on uh, the character of Abraham, and I'm going to be referring to the same person with one name, okay? Um, now, Abraham, uh, considered by many biblical scholars, is considered to be the beginning of Hebrew people, beginning of, of the nation of Israel, and ultimately, it is the beginning of the church, right? Um, he is also the human ancestor of Jesus. Uh, in Romans 4.16, Paul refers to Abraham as the father of us all. Um, now, let's go ahead and begin uh, reading Genesis chapter 12. And I want to read the first three verses. Uh, Genesis chapter 12 in the New King James Version. Uh, this is what it says. Verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, when we're first introduced to Abraham, uh, it's interesting because there's no mention of why God chooses Abraham. Okay? Noah was chosen because of his righteousness. Right? Moses was chosen because of his noble character and his obedience to God. But Abraham, if we look at the character of Abraham, it's interesting because there's no reason. It kind of just seems random, kind of seems out of nowhere. There's no backdrop. There's no story behind the, the choosing and the selecting of Abraham. He literally just comes out of this family line and Abraham is chosen, right? Um, and of course, when we fast forward and we look back at the life of Abraham, and obviously it makes sense. We understand why he was chosen. Um, and, you know, you may find in your own research, in your own studying, that there are a lot of biblical scholars and just scholars in general that try to figure out God's initial reasoning uh, for why God chose Abraham. But I think the more important thing is this, and this is something I want you to remember. What matters is not necessarily why God chose Abraham, 
What matters is what happened when God chose Abraham. And so that's why um, I want to focus on, yes, like the choosing, the reasoning is great, but some things are better uh, left to God. And I think God chooses not to reveal certain things uh, for very particular reasons. What that might be, I'm not sure. But one thing that we can remember is that we can look at what God did in his life. And the events and the happenings is so much more important than trying to figure out the why God chose Abraham. And in my own life, you know, sometimes I think, why did God choose me, a person uh, that is uh, introverted, that is not comfortable with large crowds? Why would God choose me to be a pastor? But rather than focusing on the why of that, which is not irrelevant, uh, but to focus on what is God doing through me in my life? And if I look at that, then it's reassurance that God made the best decision or God made the, the right decision in choosing me and God didn't make any mistakes. Uh, but anyways, uh, when God tells Abraham uh, to get out of his country in, in the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, uh, God tells him to leave his country, to leave his family from his father's house. And then he says, to a land that I will show you. Now, this is the first of many tests that Abraham encounters throughout his life. Uh, and you see, Abraham is told, is told to leave everything that is familiar to him. His home, his family, his father's house, his country, right? And God is calling him to leave into a place that is unknown. Now, to better understand the depth of this calling from God, I think it's important that we understand the place in which Abraham comes from. When you look at Genesis 11, the chapter before, in the family account of Abraham and his father Terah, uh, we find that they come from Ur of the Chaldeans. So what was Ur like? What is the city of Ur? What is this place? What's so significant about Abraham being told to leave this country of Ur? Uh, first of all, Ur uh, was considered a very civilized, uh, developed uh, country, a civilization. Uh, there's so much evidence um, of their wealth, of their craftsmanship, of the advanced technology and science that they had. Uh, so the city of Ur was, was uh, a very well-developed city. Uh, and this says a lot, if, if we understand that, this says a lot about uh, Abraham being told to leave this country of wealth, uh, of whatnot. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, we, sometimes children's stories and, and uh, books and media kind of portrays Abraham as this guy that's like really poor and he just doesn't look very nice and he looks kind of dirty. And uh, I'm sure after wandering and traveling uh, through, you know, through, through the deserts and whatnot. I'm sure he was, yes, dirty and whatnot. But for some reason, at least when I was growing up, I always assumed that, that Abraham was this poor man that God had called out. But if we look, it even says that Abraham gathered his wealth and everything that he had. And, you know, if you think about it, he had flocks of, of, of animals and he, he had a lot, actually. And so wealth is, is something that Abraham had. Abraham was uh, 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 living in a city of wealth and, and of comfort and had all of these things. Um, and so there's always, this is kind of a tangent, but there's always this conception that wealth is an evil thing. Yes, the Bible says, um, Paul says that the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money in itself, but the love of money. And so in the Bible, we see that, that, that God doesn't judge based on the material possessions that we have, but God, rather God judges the character of, of people, right? 
Um, and so we see here that clearly Abraham comes from a very wealthy city. He had wealth. He occurred masses. He had a lot of things. Uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of a, a random thing. But that says a lot about Abraham having to leave all of this, right? Because you see, when Abraham left Ur, he had to turn his back on such a great city. He had to set out by faith from a land about which he knew very little and could offer him very little uh, in like a materialistic or economic standpoint, right? Um, so uh, let me throw you a curveball really quick. Uh, look at verse 4 of Genesis chapter 12. Uh, verse 4 and 5, this is what it says. It says, so Abraham, depart, or Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and his Lot, his brother's son, uh, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Now, you may be thinking, okay, pastor, wait a second. Like, the Bible says that Abraham left Haran, not Ur. So how does this work? Where is Abraham really from? Now, uh, first of all, Ur and Haran are not the same city. Okay, they're two different cities, and we have to be very clear that they're not the same thing. I had the impression for the longest time that they were the same city, just different names, or like a, a city within a province. Uh, but the reality is, is they're two different cities. Um, most of your translations, uh, and this is what's important. If you're looking at the new NIV or the uh, New King James Version or the King James Version, this is the biggest hint. In verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, uh, but moder some modern translations may say, The Lord said to Abraham. And it makes a big difference if you look at the grammar of, of the sentence, right? If we read it as the Lord said to Abram, then we assume that God, uh, God's call uh, came to Abraham in Haran, not in Ur. Okay? But if we fast forward to the New Testament, we uh, also know from Stephen's words uh, that the call came to Abram at Ur. And the reason why is this. Look at Acts chapter 7, verse 2. It says, And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran. So, um, this is just uh, understanding the Hebrew and the grammar and looking at the context of the entire Bible to understand uh, where and when. Uh, so the thing is, is this message, uh, it comes to Abraham um, not necessarily in, in, in chronological order. So obviously the things that you find in the Bible, you may run into things where um, it's like, wait, well, why, like, if we read it from A to Z, then isn't that how it's supposed to be? Uh, but you'll find a lot of Bible scholarship and the way that the Bible is put together. Not everything was put in, in chronological order. Uh, and so it's important that we look at the entirety of the Bible to understand and piece together the pieces, look at the history and, and figure out where uh, things belong and in what order. So this message that God has for Abraham, uh, Abraham comes uh, at a later time right, and is recorded uh, later. So now let's continue. Uh, in one sense, uh, the command of God to Abraham, uh, Abraham was very specific, right? Abraham was told in, in, in much detail, 
what he had to leave behind, right? He had to leave his country. He had to leave his relatives, uh, his father's house. And God was promising that he would make him into a new nation, not, not a revision of, of something that already existed or something that was already there. Um, little of the culture, religion, philosophy, all these things from, from his home of the city of Ur uh, was, had nothing really to do with a part of God's plan for God's uh, people, Israel. On the other hand, we find that God's command is not just specific, but also very vague, right? Because he, what he was told to leave behind was very clear, right? He, he listed out the things that he was to leave. But then God doesn't really clarify what he's being led into, right? It's very like, like absent of detail, right? All he says is leave everything behind and I will take you to a land that I will show you. In other words, there's no details on what Abraham is getting himself into. Yet God promises him and commands him very like specifically and vaguely what he needs to do. Right. Um, and Abraham, he, you know, we know that he had no idea what he was going to get himself into. The writer uh, to the Hebrews in the book of Hebrews 11 verse 8 says very clearly, uh, he went out not knowing where he was going, right? Like Abraham was very clueless in what was happening. You see, church, this is what I want you to hear me out on on this, right? And it's something extraordinary about Abraham because we think this is crazy. God is telling Abraham something very specific, what he needs to leave behind. And then all he says is, I'm going to take you to a land and I'll show you what that land is like later, right? Um, and, you know, it's not, it's not the best bargain in town very clearly, right? Uh, why would you leave certainty, everything that you know, for something that is uncertain, something that there's no guarantee in? You know, in other words, in, in realistic, like modern day terms, that's a scam. Okay. Uh, but this is the thing. This is what makes Abraham able to follow through. Okay? The faith to which we are called is not a faith in the plan, but faith in a person. Much more important than where Abraham was, God was concerned with who Abraham was and in whom Abraham trusted. Okay. This is so powerful. We have to understand that our faith is not necessarily based on plans, but our faith is in God, right? And that's incredible. The faith we are called to is much different than a faith of, of let me see the details. Let me see the five-year, 10-year plan. We have faith in a person, not a plan, right? We see our world and our lives of uncertainty, and we don't have answers, and we struggle to know what God's will is for our life. And we know that like, like because of this, we, God clearly doesn't always reveal plans to us. And that's something that we all know. And so that's so important, church, that, that we understand that our faith is in God. And when we do that, the plans will follow naturally. As we continue to put our faith in a God of this universe, God will slowly but surely reveal his plan to us. And that's the beautiful thing about looking at things in hindsight, right? Is when we look back and see what God has been doing, it makes sense. Oh, this is what God had planned for me, right? And so this is a big challenge in faith. I know it's hard because we want to see that five-year plan. We want to see that 10-year plan. We want to see what our life is going to look like, okay? But the reality is, 
if we just put our faith in God and trust that God has that plan ready for us, then, then all is well. Right now, uh, I like to focus on uh, this theme that we find throughout the Bible now, um, and even to our present day, uh, called the covenant. And uh, we're going to find the covenant between God and Abraham in Genesis uh, chapter 15. And so I want to read that with you, or just a part of it. Um, but Genesis 15 verses 1 to 6 is what we'll be looking at. Genesis 15 verse 1 to 6, and this is what it says. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless and the heir of my house in Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the, Lord of the, word, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall be... Not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Now, we're going to be focusing only on this part of the covenant. Obviously, if you look through your Bible, there's actually more that God and Abraham are talking about. Uh, but we're going to focus on this part here because I want first um, for you to be able to digest this ideal of the covenant, how it works and the overall picture so that we can have a better understanding of how this exemplifies to our faith uh, or exemplifies the faith of Abraham and then how that faith can be translated to us today in 2020, especially in a time of uncertainty like now. Um, now, before we go into the ideal of covenant, uh, we have to peel back a layer and look at this ideal of partnership. Now, partnership is something that uh, we find in the Bible that, frankly, we don't really emphasize or talk about too much. When we look at the Christian walk, we tell people, you know, like, have a relationship with Jesus, right? This ideal of a relationship or a bond, looking to God as your friend or your teacher or your master, right? So this emphasis of relationship is a theme that we find throughout the Bible. Uh, it doesn't get talked about that much. Partnership is not necessarily the word that's used, but the theme and the ideal of partnership is prevalent. Right? So partnership is something that God wanted to have with us from the very beginning of time. Right? When God created this universe, this very good, uh, sin-free universe, God could have easily created it as a self-sustaining universe. Right? For you uh, people that are all into like saving the planet um, and being uh, eco-friendly, right? God could have easily created the world like that. He could have created a, a, a take-care-of-itself kind of world. But in Genesis 2 verse 15, it says that the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it, right? So you see from the very beginning of time, what's happening is, is God creates this world filled with potential, right? This potential for good, for joy, for all the wonderful things that we could ever imagine, and God gives this opportunity for humanity to form this partnership with God and to make that potential a reality, right? And so we have as humanity this opportunity that God wants to form this partnership where we take part in making this world a better place, right? However, very quickly, we find that a lot of things just quickly fall apart, 
right? Humans choose to disconnect that partnership with God. They rebel and they try to create a world on their own based on their own understanding and then their own terms rather than in the terms that God has laid out for them. And this is what we see throughout the narrative and you should know that as well when we just look at the world that we live in now, right? Where people are trying to live life and create this world in their own terms rather than in God's terms. Now, this broken partnership is described throughout the Bible as the reason why we're stuck in this world filled with sin, with anger, with hurt, with confusion, uncertainty, with corruption, with, and ultimately in this world filled with death. But this isn't only limited to Adam and Eve from the beginning of time, uh, but the Bible descri- describes this state of being for all people, right, for the entire world. And we all see the reality of that And even today, this past week, with all the rioting and the looting and the hurt and the anger that people are expressing. Now, um, we've all, uh, in other words, broken our partnership with God. So this is where we find in the story, the narrative of the Bible, that God selects a specific smaller group of people out of the many to create this new kind of partnership. And this is where we find the ideal of covenant. This is where the covenant relationship begins, right? So what is the covenant? I'm glad you asked, right? A covenant is where God makes the promises and then in return asks his partners to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of the covenant is that through this deal between a smaller group of people, it would be in some way uh, an avenue in which God can renew his covenant relationship with all people, right? Uh, so in the Old Testament, we encounter four different types or different times uh, when God makes a covenant promise with people. And in order to understand our character Abraham, I want to make sure that we understand all four of these and the bigger picture of the covenant relationships. So God creates a covenant with these four uh, people, Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. Now, Noah's covenant is an interesting one because the backdrop is God sends this flood uh, to clean up the sin of humanity uh, at its time. And Noah and his families are the only ones that are left. Noah is righteous. His family is seen righteous. And God makes this covenant with them. Basically, the covenant is to never destroy the world via a flood, even though uh, God knows that people will continue to be evil. Uh, But this is the interesting thing, because this is the only covenant in which God makes this promise, but doesn't ask anything from Noah in return, right? God basically is extending this promise, despite the fact that the reality is corruption and evilness will once again find its way back into the world. This is a very interesting covenant. We could talk about that later. But uh, the next covenant we find in in order is Abraham, Abraham's covenant, right? God picks him uh, very randomly uh, and then promises to bless him and give him land in which they can flourish. And in return, God simply asks Abraham to just trust in him and to obey God. And the reasoning is that God says that he's going to use Abraham's family as an avenue to bring a blessing to all families of the world. Then we find the next covenant, and the next covenant 
is one uh, with Abraham's family, which is the tribe of Israel, the nation of Israel. Now, this covenant isn't directed, obviously, to one person, but to a nation and to an entire tribe. And God, what he asks them is to follow and obey a set of laws and guidelines on how to will live well as a community that is in line with God. Uh, and if they do so, God promises uh, this abundance of blessings uh, upon blessings that they can represent uh, the rest of humanity. And the final covenant that we find is with King David. Now, this, uh, the tribe of Israel is now a large nation, and it's ruled by this king named David. And God asks, once again, uh, to obey the law, to do what is right, and do what is just. And the promise is that one of David's descendants will come and extend God's peace and blessing to all the nations. But here's the thing, okay? We know very clearly that Israel breaks their part of the covenant, right? They lose their land and all seems hopeless. But this is where things get really interesting. The prophets and the Bible point to a day in which God will restore all of these covenants, right? And this is where we find the character of Jesus, where Jesus is introduced into our uh, biblical narrative, right? We find Jesus because... uh, what happens is, is Jesus is now fulfilling this new covenant, right? Jesus comes from the family of Abraham. So he's the one that brings the blessings of Abraham to the whole world. Jesus is called the faithful Israelite, right? So he is able to obey the laws perfectly, right? Then Jesus comes from the line of King David. And so he goes about extending God's peace, blessing, and justice to all. You see, this is the beautiful thing, church. The beautiful thing about the covenant promise made to us is that God always keeps his part of the deal, even if we are unfaithful. God always has a way, and that way is Jesus. And that's beautiful, because even though we may fall short and fall short in our our obedience to God, God has found a way through the life of Jesus Christ to give us the opportunity to, to receive the blessings and, and the, the, the grace poured out onto our lives, right? It's through Jesus Christ that we have a way to receive the blessings of the covenant promises that God gives. So now you may be wondering, okay, pastor, like what does this have to do with Abraham? Like what's the whole point? You see, this is the thing. Abraham had no idea what his initial following of God was going to be about. As he was leaving everything he knew for a future that was unknown, one thing that stuck with him was the sheer amount of trust in who God was, not in what God had planned. Obviously for us, we can look back at history. We can look back at the entirety of the narrative that we find in the Bible. And we can have a grasp of how important Abraham was and the journey and the promises that were made. Um, and, And we can see just through the life of Abraham, if we look back in history, that there was very good purpose and plan that God had for him. And we see it. But what about Abraham in his time and his space? When he was there in that moment, receiving this promise and receiving this call from God. Man, and that's challenging, right? Look at verse 6, and it says, And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. You see, the final verse in our scripture reading today, this is what I want to close off with. When we look at the Hebrew, it's very clear um, that this ideal of faith uh, is not about like the existence of God, right? Uh, 
so sometimes we think like faith is like, oh, do I have faith? Do I believe in God? We use that interchangeably. Uh, but in Hebrew thought and in Hebrew language, when they say faith, they're not asking that. They're not asking whether God exists or it doesn't exist. It's more about, do you trust in God, right? The existence of God is there. It's a reality. We, the, Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew language and the authors and the writers of the Bible did not have that question in mind. It would be foolish to think that God didn't exist, right? But the question was, do you trust in the God that does exist, right? And very clearly, we find in, in the life of, of Abraham, even with the uncertainty that lay before him, Abraham said, you know what? I'm going to trust in this God. I'm going to trust in the promises that God has extended to me. But with what evidence does God or Abraham put his trust in God? In verse 6, it says, And he accounted it to him for his righteousness. Right? It's in the goodness, it's in the merit that Abraham is able to put his trust in God. You see, church, I believe that we all can hold on to the promises of God. When we look back at how God has been true to all of his covenants and how God longs to have this partnership from the beginning of time till now to have a partnership with you and I to the point that he's willing to send his own son to make that ultimate sacrifice. I believe that this is ample evidence for you and I to be more like Abraham, to put our trust and ultimately our faith in him. You see, in the covenant promises where there was not a lot of certainty for him, he was able and willing to take that leap of faith. Now, I'm not trying to minimize our own faith journey and our own faith walk, but even us today, we have so much evidence of what God is able to do. So much evidence of how God works through his people. And how God longs to have this abundant relationship with you and I. It's a challenge for us as well to take that step of faith. To take that leap and say, hey, you know what? Like, I'm going to put my trust in God. Not necessarily what God has for me. That'll come later. That'll come naturally. But let me just give God a chance. Let me put my trust in Him. And believe that the promises will come raining down. Now, in light of everything that's going on. We, when we look through the Bible, we have all this clear evidence of what God has done for people. If God has done it before, why can't God do it now? And even when we look at the, 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 the suffering and the oppression and the terrible things that the, the Israelite nation goes through, and we see in the story how God works through that. And, you know, obviously I can't tell you how everything is going to end with the COVID-19 and all of this stuff. But what I can tell you is that God will come through and that God will be faithful and that God will pour out his blessings to his people. And all he asks is that we simply trust and believe in this promise. So church, I pray that this Sabbath and this past week of reflection and the following week for who knows what is yet to happen, that we can take the time to look back at what God has done and say, Lord, I want to put my hope 
and my trust and my faith in you. Church, I challenge you to put your trust in God, to believe in the promises that He will pour out to you. Just believe in the person, not in the plan. Let's pray.